sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Folks, coming back from that message for the awesome Shadows of Your Mind magazine, I have a guest who will actually be re- appearing in Shadows of Your Mind magazine next week in an interview. That'll no doubt be in the, uh, the next issue, released probably around the end of October. No pressure, Dave, on the magazine for that one. Um, but when I announced this guest on Twitter, I got a deluge of questions on a variety of different subjects. A few people actually asked if it was going to be an AMA. That's an Ask Me Anything, if you're not one of the cool kids out there. They're very popular on Reddit these days and that allowed me to really shape the show so a lot of this show um at the behest of the guest as well is going to be based on your questions after a little bit of background um, so i'd like to welcome researcher author forensic investigator former dod employee lobbyist among many many things i've got chase kloetzka on the show chase how are you doing this evening I am doing great, and thank you so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. You know I love the young guns. As you were just saying, yeah. Um, I mean, at 34, it's like, God, it's it's rare I get referred to as young these days. But no, I'll, I'll totally take that. And um, again, people like yourself have been involved in this field now for, you know, I don't like to put an age on it, but for so long and done a lot of amazing work. Um, it's great for me to get to speak to people like yourself, so I really appreciate it. Um, like I said, Chase, I, this is the most... A number of questions I've ever had for a guest so far on the podcast and I've had some great names and some great people and I didn't give people a whole lot of notice for you coming on either so to get the volume of questions I got I was I was very excited and normally I would run through and do my own I, I would never label myself as a researcher I, I am not a researcher okay I'm too lazy to be a researcher ask anyone who knows me um, but what I will do is ask a lot of questions but my listeners done it for me on this one and the questions were amazing so really it's almost more of a chase ama uh which i'm really excited to hear a lot of your answers to and we'll obviously follow up on i love it too. i really love it um you know especially the the questions and when we do the ama it you get the smartest questions sometimes from the group i love anyway so let's go yeah, the, the the questions were good. There was nothing that I felt I had to take out that I was like, no, I can't ask her that. Um, but listen, uh, before that, I've got to discuss your uh, your background. It is extensive in the field of ufology. So what was your first involvement with UFO or UAPs growing up? Yeah, I think what sparked the interest in UFOs was a book by Eric Von Daniken, Chariots of the God. And yes, I'm old and grumpy. And like, it was way back and I was homesick. So, you know, my stepmother handed me this book and I'm like, yeah, it's religious. You talk about God. Then after, you know, Peyton or how many times can you count the ceiling tiles that I just decided to pick it up? And I was stunned. First, I didn't know you could question things like biblical context or interpretation. I kind of, I, I was blown away by it I completely at that moment was hooked into trying to find the answers or helping the people with experiences. 
I mean, that's a, that's a pretty famous book to to quote. And anyone who knows Ancient Aliens, a show you've appeared on before, is Chariots of the Gods is referred to constantly. And it's a book that spawned a lot of other books and spin-offs and debates. And like you say, something I'm not religious in the slightest. I know a lot of the listeners are, and that's, again, up to, to people to have their own views. But like, it was one of the first texts, like you say, that really allowed you to question. So here's the Bible, and let's just say this is true. What about this interpretation of it? And that's a really fascinating thing to think about, especially at a young age. And that's that's what got you into it. Yeah. Yeah, I was 16 years old. So, you know, that was a big deal for me. I, I think the thing that shocked me the most was they were not only smart questions, but they were questions I may have asked. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you hear about Moses 40 years in the desert. I kind of think sometimes there's always a chase in the group that after about three years, I would have said, hey, Mo, can I see that map for a minute? <laughs> right. <laughs> So I loved it when I saw that. I thought it was great. It was a great book, and that started everything about my passion. Yeah, I love context and knowing a bit more. And, you know, you've always got to ask that extra question and find out, you know, where are we going? And that that's a great thing about that book that got a lot of people into the subject, especially, you know, when it was written. And it's something that stands up even now. And that's why it's constantly reprinted, republished and updated as well. Did you have any early experiences or sightings? So you're saying you were 16 when you got into this book, but take me back to then. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, I really put full time into ufology and in UFO investigations. And truthfully, they are, you have to get in the field. You have to put boots and sciences. And the more you do it, the better your chances are of running into something. I've had a few of them. Actually, um, I had one that absolutely changed my life. And it was really one second that did it. As crazy as that sounds, let me go. So <laughs> we were, uh, I got this call from a witness uh, or assignment from MUFON at the time. And he lived in Tennessee, like way in the woods of Tennessee. And he was reporting like these orbs and these orange orbs and certain things. And so I started talking to him and, and investigating and doing our, you know, questions, get a statement, you know, challenge questions, all of this. And then I, I was supposed to go out there. So he, he said, it happens all the time. So when you hear that, it's like, okay, all the time. So let me come out and check out all the time. And we had a time set, but that we had this huge flood between Memphis and um, Nashville. And it was a thousand year flood. It was epic. It was huge. So that kind of delayed things for a while, but I eventually got out there with an, and I'm kind of skipping through this quickly because it's a long story. Obviously it was a whole night, but I'll hit the details. So I, I ended up going out there um, when things started clearing up a little with another investigator, a MUFON investigator, and we pulled up in his driveway and he was just animated like, oh my gosh, it's already starting. Come here, let, let me show you. So we walked from his driveway to kind of like the edge of the driveway where you could see like the rest of his yard. And he pointed up and he's like, look at this. And I said, sure enough, there's freaking little like dots in the sky. They're kind of rotating together and then they all split up and then they come back. But if you got sick of watching one of those, you turn to your right, there's another group. I was already freaking out. Like that's already more than I've ever seen before and witnessed myself. So I'm loving it. But of course I'm already on the usual suspects, satellites, you know, aircraft, you know, all these kind of things that I had already on my iPad. Right. So I'm just like eh, trying to go through those. Then he said, I have this huge cornfield. It will give us a panoramic view, and that's probably the best spot to see things. 
I'm like, let's go. So we jumped in as he had this big old truck. <laughs> yeah, talking big old truck. And we jump in there and we go down to this cornfield and I'm kind of setting up my table once we get there. And we're almost in the middle. It, 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 I've never seen corn. I didn't know cornfields were that big. I was just like, you, this is all your corn? Like it was huge. And it was surrounded by trees. So I'm setting up my equipment and, you know, all of a sudden the witness is freaking out. Oh my God, here it comes. Here it comes, Chase. This is what I wanted you to see. And I look up and I see a white light coming. And it's actually moving. I don't see any aviation lights or, you know, the signatures on, you know, certain things we see. I'm looking for satellite kind of identification. But then two more pop in. And I'm like, holy crap, there's three of these, right? And then as it got closer, I could tell it's starting to block out stars. I'm like, it's a triangle. This is not three separate. It's one object with three lights. So... I'm trying to pick up my camera. I'm like an investigator. I'm like, it's right there. This is the gold. This is the golden ring. This is everything I need. Nothing's working. Oh my gosh. Right. My trifill meter, my cameras, I had four cameras, different makes and models, and none of them was working. I'm so frustrated. I probably dropped the F bomb. <laughs> I'm going to say probably, <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty sure I dropped the F bomb. Yeah. I'm like, like nothing's isn't working, you know. I was just so frustrated because it's right there, and that's that's what I need. That's what I need. Anyway, everything went offline. Nothing was working. Trifield meter, like nothing. So we continue to watch this triangle go completely over our heads and go off into the distance. I did happen to catch a couple decent pictures of it way off, but it's still light in the sky. It wasn't a light in the sky when we saw it. So anyway, I'm freaking out. I'm like so happy already. I'm just like, whoop, whoop, whoop. like this is so cool. And we were just joyous. Actually, the witness is very happy because he isn't crazy. We saw the same thing he did. So, um, but I'm worried because my equipment failed. So I looked down, everything's back online. I really thought it was going to be a battery drain, which we hear a lot of with close encounters or craft or even paranormal experiences, Bigfoot reports have even shown this or yeah. alleged this. So I decided everything was back online. So it's not battery drain. I don't care. I'm going to change the batteries anyway. So I'm like the, my trifield meter has little screws on the uh, battery compartment and I was unscrewing that. And all of a sudden I felt this, this feeling. And I said to the people in the field, does anyone else feel like you're being watched? And I said, and I don't mean from up here. And it was at that moment that this panic, fear, fight or flight times a thousand physically punched me in my body. And every cell I had was completely in terror, completely in terror. So I start, I turn around as, and I'm turning and I notice the witness does the same thing. And we just start running. The other investigator was way ahead of us and she's running too. Nobody said, what's that? nobody said anything about being scary. I just said being watched and all of a sudden we're running. No one knows. I, I was just like, what? As I'm running, all I see is this light that's going left to right, left to right, left to right. And, and I couldn't take my eyes off that light. Turns out the witness had like one of those big halogen flashlights. And it was, as he's running, it was, it was his movement as he's running. And then all of a sudden 
I just remember hitting something like I just ran into a wall and it was the witness. And I heard him say, what the F is that? And in his left arm, he had the flashlight and he completely just moved it over and it landed completely on this gray, this little being. And I was shocked. I, I, I was so shocked that there was anything there. Next thing I know, we're running again. And we're running into, we get into his truck. Um, we pull out so fast, so fast. We caught a little air coming out of the cornfield. We get in his driveway. We all kind of tumble out. Nobody's saying anything. And I, I think I was the one that broke the ice. I'm just like, what, what just happened? Like, why did we, like, what, stop. Like, everybody stop. So I don't know when the fear left, but I know by the time we got to the driveway, it was gone. Um, and truthfully, there were things that we found out later. So as we investigate further, because we didn't discuss anything amongst ourselves, I knew we needed, the other investigator was walking down the driveway. She was calling the state director. Like we now become witnesses. We can't talk. So, but, um, in 30 minutes, we're back in the cornfield because I was freaking out. I saw a being. There's footprints, maybe trace evidence. You know, that's what I do. That's my forte. That's what I'm really, really good at. Forensics. Let's grab some evidence. Physical evidence, trace evidence, doesn't matter. Direct, indirect, let's go. And, you know, and that that was kind of how it worked that night. As I'm going home, I remember the feeling as I'm driving was BS. Nobody gets everything in one night. What was going on in that cornfield? And I didn't doubt what I saw. I didn't doubt what I had been through. What I did doubt was why everything, like I, I just, it was, it was really a contrast and really a struggle. And, but the one thing I can tell you is it happened. So no matter what my mind was trying to make of it, couldn't get past. That's exactly what happened. So, um, that's kind of where it is. I call it one second because when that light hit that being, that being never flinched. How do you go from pitch dark? This is a really dark cornfield. He's out in the boonies. There's no white pollute or light pollution at all. So I, I just, for me, it was like, what, why? Like what was going on? And so over the years, I've come up with two theories. One, we were not supposed to be there. Whatever that triangle, maybe with the being, maybe had to do out there, um, we weren't supposed to be there and we needed to leave so they could do their job. The second theory was, which breaks my heart and kills me, is that you hear from abductees that they they can, like the feelings between them and you can be transferred. And all of a sudden it hit me. That terror was nothing like I've ever felt before. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It is it's fight or flight times a thousand. When I say every single cell in my body was in terror, that's exactly what it felt like. It was physical. So I kind of wonder what if that was the fear that little being felt seeing us in the field and we just kind of left left him or we left him alone. Um, so there, there's a lot. I have more questions and answers, even though I've pretty much seen it all now, right? So to speak. But, um, it, you know, it's just, it was just a crazy night. It was a crazy night. And um, there's still part of me that says, uh, what really happened out there? Like, I know what happened, but why? 
we were not supposed to be there. We didn't run away from a beating. And I really need to make that clear. No one knew it was out there. None of us did. We ran straight to it, actually. That's how we were six feet from it. That being was not more than six feet from when we stopped. So there was no, like, I'm afraid of aliens, so I'm running. There was none of that at all. And this witness is a man's man. Let me tell you, he's a farmer. He's actually, the reason he's never come out is he's a national sports person. Everyone would know him right away. He didn't want to be the crazy, you know, guy with the UFO thing going on. But um, I didn't know who he was when I first pulled up because I don't follow that sport. But the other <laughs> investigator I had was freaking out like, oh my God, do you know what this is? I'm like, no, not really. So what? I've been talking to him for a couple of weeks. Anyway, um, He's, when we first got into the truck and we first got into the cornfield, and this is kind of important, he pulled out this big old shotgun and put it in the back. And of course, I'm standing there almost stunned with the look on my face like, what are you doing with that gun? I'm, you know, you've got two girls out here in the cornfield. No one knows where we are. Uh-oh, what did I just do? And he's like, Chase, don't worry. He says, we have some problem with some coyotes here. And the gun is in case, you know, they show up and we, we need to take care of ourselves. That's a big statement because what that tells you, these guys that far out in the woods, you don't call 911. You call the sheriff when it's all done. You take care of what's going on. This was not a man afraid to be out there in the dark. So him running, me running, and the other investigator, it was hive-minded. And we weren't supposed to be there. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on the podcast. So if I was leaving it there, I think people would be excited enough. That would that would be a great cliffhanger. I mean, like you say, that's what you would expect to potentially get over a career. You know, and obviously you did spend a lot of time in MUFON and you held several prominent positions within MUFON as well. Um, obviously, the, the, the main thing I think anyone takes away from that is you, you've encountered a being. And I found it really interesting. You said that one of your theories is actually the the fear was from the being and not from you so often it breaks my heart oh my yeah. gosh if that being was feeling that i i have to tell you that fear is just it wasn't even human almost i've never said that before i just don't know how to describe how severe that terror was and to know if that little being was feeling like that because we were there breaks my heart it's interesting though because so many people discuss and talk about the greys as being a species that are potentially soulless um, have no conscience of their own they're hive minded they're just there to do experiments they're potentially clones so you wouldn't think they would necessarily have that sort of feeling or you know anything sort of there they're just they're just empty biological entities but you yeah, potentially think a, differently yeah, and that's a very smart observation because when I described what happened, you go from pitch dark to this halogen flashlight straight in his face. I say he because, you know, a mother of boys and grandmother of mostly boys, and yeah, it's just he is everything. But, you know, this old being, he never flinched. He didn't do this. I mean, there, you know, he didn't, like, back up and close, squint his eyes or, you know, he was completely stoic, almost machine. And I would say it was machine in its behavior but if you can see his eyes, there's nothing, nothing mechanical. That that was a biological being, whether it was, you know, um, a hybrid or, you know, whatever they are. If, if they're the Cy <laughs> Cylons, you know, uh, whatever it is, like they're man-made or whatever. But um, I was shocked 
shocked. And this was stuff that came out after. It's like, and I also remember his legs being so friggin' tiny. I remember that being a big thing that sat with me for a couple of weeks. They were so thin. It was like a twig trying to hold up a log. And of course, then I realized later it was the flashlight and the way it hit that being that it was shadowed. So it was a crazy night. Was there any fallout from that? So like you say, you become a witness, your your fellow investigator becomes a witness, the witness is now a witness to more activity that's gone on. What what was the kind of general fallout from that incident? I, we were all interviewed by, you know, state directors. At this point, you had, you know, a MUFON higher-ups all, like, all taking our statements. Um, they even asked me to speak to Calm Helner, which I did, was, was Bigelow's right hand at the time. You know, and I, you know, I just, just told what happened. But I can tell you that the other witness, I don't know if it was this incident or something else. But what I do know is all of a sudden she just left her house one day, like, within a few weeks of this happening, left her husband, left her house, left all possessions, left everything, jumped in a car and just drove away. She was missing for a few weeks. And then her family found her living in a a van with some band guy, you know, smoking weed all day. So I, you know, I just, I just feel horrible. It's why I don't mention her name either. It's kind of, um, I feel bad for her. It's, it's a pretty life-altering and life-changing experience for anyone to go through. So that's that's amazing. But thanks for sharing that. That I suppose that takes me on to a question that I would normally get to later, but given what we're going to discuss throughout this, I'll ask it now. So you, you've got there what you think is the, the classic triangular craft. You've got orbs flying about, potentially, if we're going to call them orbs. You've got other lights in the sky that may or may not be satellites, but probably aren't from what you're saying. And then you've got a, a being you've seen as well. Has from that point to now, has what you think the whole phenomenon is changed? Uh, for example, look, I, growing up, especially when I was younger, you've got aliens coming from another planet in a flying saucer, and that would be really cool. And that's what's happening to just in the last couple of years with like TTSA and other documentaries and just doing this podcast. My opinion's changed a lot in five months, let alone, you know, 15, 20 years to you've got interdimensional, multidimensional. It's a mix of different things. Some of it's our tech, some of it's something else's tech. And there's a whole mix and melting pot of things going on. So first question, has your opinion changed of what's going on? And what do you think is going on now? I honestly believe that, you know, from everywhere I've been, from that experience forward, like, how did it get there? We didn't see it land. Like, there was no big, you know, landing or whatever. And I've often said, I'm on the record, I say this almost every show because it's so important. I don't believe through the evidence that we have so far that these crafts are coming here on a Red Bull and a full tank of gas. This is an interdimensional. They're using science we haven't, you know, even mastered yet let alone barely understand they're you know using um time and space they're folding it you know they're maneuvering through this now i do believe it's science-based we just haven't discovered how to do this yet whether it's wormholes or time travel or you know even the like time and space it's um but they're getting here in a different way which is why a lot of the um scientists or astrologers really debunk the whole alien, you know, even coming here anyway, because how many stars they have to transfer, but they ignore the other things we know are going on. We know these are real. 
They've been proven. This is done. We just don't know how to harness that and use it to our benefit yet, but we will. And I think it's just if you can comprehend and even think locally that there was a point on the earth where someone stood on a shore and looked across and saw another shore and thought, uh, we can never get across there. You know, we can't do that. And then, no, oh, someone makes a boat and tries it and pr- probably died the first couple of times people tried it. And then it's like, oh, we can't get even that much further. And then I wonder if there's anything on, on the other side of this. And then people crossed oceans and, and now we kind of fly about. And if if you have to sit on a flight for five or six hours to get somewhere, it's too long. So like yeah. you say, it's just, it's just natural progression and things evolve and change. And no doubt we'll get there eventually, but how quickly we get there, some people think we've already got that technology. Some people think it's it's discussed, and some of the questions I've got are are based on that as well. Um, so that was one of your first experiences. Fast forwarding, is that right? That that was one of your more your it, early yeah. experiences. Yeah, and you know, truthfully, I I'm like into UFOs. That's really my forte. But I've been out Bigfoot hunting. I've been out, you know, looking for. <laughs> You know, ghosts, I've been on plenty of ghost hunts, and it's I, I just love the mystery, honestly. And, you know, there's a camaraderie you can build with a small group of people when you investigate together, and that's really my favorite part. I think more and more the, the whole phenomenon, as people describe it now, is linked, though, isn't it? And I keep saying the phenomenon. You know, we've got a documentary out in two days' time uh, from James right. Fox, uh, which I've, I've actually been sent a link to watch an early screener for, and I've still not had the chance to do it yet because of the kids. Um <laughs> I, I've already ordered it anyway, and I would encourage anyone else. Well, actually, when this releases, it's going to have been out a few days, so there won't be any spoilers anyway. Um, but the phenomenon is is linked that when you talk about ghosts and demons and angels and, like you say, religions, UFOs, Bigfoot, people just seem to think more and more that these things are all connected and they're almost one and the same thing. Someone you know, Lou Elizondo, has talked about, you know, look at the data and right. Tom DeLong, Lou, all these different people have said that reality in the world and the universe is a much stranger and crazier place than we could possibly imagine. And that, I suppose that would that make sense. Bigelow. Yeah, we learned that from Bigelow too. You know, if we're just focused on flesh and blood, aliens or, you know, beings coming here, it's way bigger than that. And, you know, this is not only dimensional, it's, you know, there's so many great things out in the universe that we can discover. I'm not so sure the Star Trek was completely wrong. Different beings, some good, some bad, you know, all of this coming together. You know, you have Bigfoot because it looks like something we consider we're more intelligent than, you know, like a monkey or something. You know, we completely take down um, any kind of I don't know, like, you know, bias, like we have to go in without that bias of, you know, they're just animals or whatever. How do we know? We're not catching them. Maybe they're a little smarter than us if they exist. <laughs> and and people have certainly seen something, if, if not a seven, eight, nine foot eight walking about a woods, you know, there's something to it. And I'm taking out the the costumes and the, the really bloody photos that don't really show anything. Right. But- and that's it and it it only takes one to show something real for it to be real it doesn't matter about all the fakes and the hoaxes i think it's nick pope who always says the critics have to be right every time we just have to be right once yeah and he's absolutely and that's what we're all looking for is that physical evidence 
And that's really why I focused and even went and got my certification in forensic science and forensic collection is because that's where it's going. We have tens of thousands of lights in the sky and they're important. They really are for data. We have lots of people talking about their experiences, seeing things. It's very important for our data. But we have we have to go after the evidence now. And that's why I love To The Stars Academy. These guys aren't playing. Like if it, and I'm the same way. If, if there's no physical or trace evidence, I will help them find another investigator. But that's not my thing. My thing is, you know, going after the big stuff now. It's it's just how it is. And that's what I was going to get on to next before we even move on to listener questions is your background in forensics. Now, um, one of your more famous pieces of work was on the, you know, the star child skull and ultimately, you know, spoiler alert, but the conclusions were that this was more than likely a, a five-year-old human child with with major deformities. But again, yeah. especially in 2020, people don't want to hear that because... No, they don't. And I didn't want to hear that. I wanted an alien. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm looking for a saucer and an alien. Like, I really wanted this to be an alien, but I'm not going to lie and fudge the science behind it. You know, they, I could answer everything from the rebar in the skull to why the skull looked thicker. And it, it all came down to the age of the being. And that was proven. And Do, um, Nolan, you know, the uh, scientist, I'm like Gary Nolan, he came up with the same. I didn't even look at his report until I independently had done everything myself through a professional um, DNA lab that specialized in ancient remains. And when we were getting the same data at the end, it's a done deal, guys. You know, science doesn't care what we believe. They're going to put out what it is. They're going to put out results and we either take them or we don't. But a lot of people were very disappointed that that wasn't an alien. Me, probably most of all. And people probably forget that, that even though you're interested in the subject, you're not going to lie about it. And and this is yeah. where we've got this real mix at the minute of shows. So you look at something like Ancient Aliens, incredibly popular. However, the idea behind Ancient Aliens is everything was aliens. As, right. as George Sakalis is famous for now, it was aliens, the meme, which he, he loves as well. But everything wasn't aliens. And, and you, you've got to be able to say, look, some things are human, some things are explainable, probably most things are explainable, but we're just looking for, like we said, those couple of things that are, aren't as explainable, that are more mysterious, are unidentified, you know, just to drop the name of another show, and it's, it's just trying to find that happy, happy medium, isn't it, that, you know, what is actually worth discussing and talking about, if something's proven to be, it's, just it's too good to be true and we've got those ufo videos and whatnot that just it might be real it might be fake we don't know but we can't discuss it anymore because we can't go any further but then we've got the stuff like the star child you know skull okay we can put that to bed it's not it's not alien it's human let's move on let's concentrate on other stuff and that's what that's what you've done absolutely and the owner who is um really part of the investigation along with um carrie um which is a partner that I have in the field reports, um, we repatriated those remains back to where his Haflo group is. So we actually found the Haflo group and repatriated his remains back to Mexico. That little kid has been through so much, so much drama. He's been mounted. He's been on display. He's been, you know, cut up in pieces. I mean, it's just, he's been 
put on the internet with a, a ball cap and a cigarette out of his it's just disgusting and these were even if it was a being or an alien it deserved more respect than what it got honestly and you know that's what we always tried to do is completely be above above board and when we found out his capital group was that's it there there's that's it it's the same dna we're working off of like you know where we come from and repatriated his remains and i give the owner of that a lot of credit because when she first asked me to help her find the truth about this there was a whole group about the star child committee bringing in tens of thousands of dollars a year there you go right Yes, uh, and that's something we've discussed on the show before is the very, 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 very small amount of people who make a lot of money off of this tend to have the most extraordinary claims that you right. just can't prove. And it's it's almost religion and church-esque that you just have to put the faith in it that, no, no, the, you know, this this being has spoken to me in my dreams and from this star system and I've got, and it's just sort of, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. And that, do you know what? They might be true. And maybe one day that little being in that field that you saw will come out and tell us that, do you know what, Mr. X out there or, you know, Dr. Yeah. G, let's just say, is, is right. But we're not there yet. But listen, so you've talked about forensics. What are some of the more interesting things that you have looked at from a forensics point of view? Anything potentially left unexplained? or? Yeah, I, I have a couple medals that I had done. Um, Bob White, a very famous medal case or a physical evidence. Uh, this is a guy kind of driving through the desert, you know, in the uh, Vegas, that whole kind of area. And he sees this object and it's dropping what looks like molten metal. So he stops the car and he goes to look for it. And um, I helped test that piece of uh, metal, um, which still is undescribable. Like they still can't figure out. It isn't so much the, um, the alloys, it's how it was processed. And that's what we're finding with the Bismarck or the, you know, the one at to the Star yes. Academy that yeah. formerly did a health. It's like, we're not finding all these exotic um, minerals or, or all these components. The universe is pretty much made of the same stuff. It's what we're learning. So, you know, even though the moon has more helium than the earth, the earth still has some helium. So mm. you know, all these components, what we're looking at right now is the process. Um, I've also had a little over 300 forensic samples of the elongated skulls in Peru. And, you know, just, I have soil samples, I have water samples, just like all over the place samples. What I also do though, is I take a little extra than I need for analysis, because what I do is, you know, really learn from what happened with the police departments when, you know, DNA was really on the cusp. They, they really thought they had it. So they started saving rape kits and forensics of murders and things like this in hopes that in five, 10 years they could solve them. And that's exactly what happened. So even though I'm getting, you know, answers or I'm still keeping some samples back because what if our technology or our analytics are 10 times more important or powerful and we get a different result. So, you know, that's something I've, I've learned to do as well. I've got a lot of samples. If you were given an unlimited budget, laboratory, funding, whatever you wanted to call it, and time, is there any one piece that you would go to and you would you would spend that on? Yeah, I honestly I would I would capture the same team I'm working with now. Um, they're brilliant. Um, I'm the only ufologist in it. These are, you know, 
you know, I say retired commander, you know, all these other people, one's a, a lawyer for the United Nations. And, you know, to have that kind of um, mindset looking into this from not my point of view, but their point of view coming in and to really start getting this. And what I really need is a plane. I have all the equipment. I have all the forensics. I have a forensic kit that would make the sheriff's department jealous. And that funding comes from my very, very generous husband who supports my passion. And, uh, but at the same time, if, if I had unlimited funds, that's what I would do. I would take that team I'm working with. I would partner with To The Stars Academy. They're on it. These are the same people I'm working with. My Beltway group is the same type of people that To The Stars Academy has. It's why I have so much respect for them. You have government insiders and a dreamer. And the dreamer is Tom DeLong. Everyone else is a government person. They don't work in our world. Trust me, my husband's a retired you know, commander from the United States Navy. They don't, they don't think like us. They're, they're not in our world. They're in a different one, which is very valuable at this point because we need that type of aptitude and diligence. Tom DeLong gets a lot of heat from a lot of people. He's very polarizing. And like I've said to a few different people and, and people that are also close with Lou, I imagine Tom DeLong is the type of person that regularly gets messages or phone calls from Chris Mellon or Lou Elizondo with a, Tom, delete that tweet. Tom, take that Instagram <laughs> post down. Tom, you are right. Yeah. <laughs> you are absolutely right. And I have to tell you that, you know, people forget he's a dreamer. He's a rock star. This guy is, you know, he thinks artistically. And so when he puts some of this stuff out, he takes all this heat like he's an expert on aliens. It's not, we have to give him kind of a little break because he's a dreamer. He, he's an artist. You know, he's huge. And his heart is so big. I have to tell you that, you know, my grandson just turned 18 for his 18th birthday, you know, you know, I just, I called in a favor and my grandson is getting swag signed from Tom DeLong. This guy takes time out of his day to actually, and in a poster from, you know, aliens, uh, I'm sorry, uh, angels, angels and airwaves. Yep. Yeah. And you know, to Ryan, you know, thanks for blah, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, Tom DeLong, this guy treated my grandson. We just wanted, like, thought it'd be great to give him an autograph, you know, something from Tom. Cause he's so huge. My grandson's a huge fan of him and he got so much more there's so much more like I, I can't even tell you how generous and how blown away I am but that's all these guys up there Lou Elizondo is one of the kindest most honorable um generous men I know he you know he he comes from the same arena that Pete and I worked in for over 30 years and I don't think I would do anything different to a Tom DeLong if you put myself in that arena with those type of people and let, let's be clear Tom's probably Tom knows more than I do about the subject from the people he hangs about with I don't doubt though that he's totally clued into what Lou knows Chris Mellon knows Hal put off knows and he probably knows bits and that's when he puts out these tweets and I would probably be doing the same that what if, what if there was this and there's probably bits yeah. there that are, are right and along a right track and there's maybe bits that are his opinion and they get melded together which and there's nothing wrong with that. No, and when you think of uh, like Jacques Lay and even Robert Bigelow, they're like, wait a minute guys, this is weirder than you think it is. And then Tom DeLong comes out with something 
you might look at that like it might be a little Easter egg. And why would you do that? And that is because he's talked to people we'll never get a chance to. I'll never have a chance to talk to some of these people. This this rock star literally, for whatever reason, I believe it was this soft disclosure. But this rock star was brought in to some of the places we've been I would have killed to be in that room. And, you know, it was him. And I'm just happy. I'm happy it's coming out. It, it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be Richard Dolan or Linda Moton Howell or, you know, my other friends like out there, Nick and, you know, some of the guys. It, it needed to be the government guys. It needed to be that to be believed. Nobody's really listening to us but us. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that was yeah. always that was always going to be divisive, no matter who done it. I don't think there's any way this could this could now come out the way we are in 2020 with the world going to shit. Let's just put it that way, in yeah. so many different ways that if the the classic UFO landed on the White House lawn, it's a fake alien invasion. It's blue beam. It's US yeah. <laughs> tech. Those those are default. It it wouldn't matter right. if aliens came out. Exactly. And went, this is us. It's I mean, even the classic, again, I'm not religious, I'll use something that's not even in my field of the expertise, but if Jesus came back, I could only imagine the crap he would get now, and he would be like, oh my God, this is this is what's happened in 2,000 years, and that that's what we've kind of turned into, so why not Tom DeLonge and why not aliens? But listen, um, right. and we've got some questions on that anyway. Getting into listener questions now the first one i won't name the listener who got in touch they did have a a back and forward with you on twitter saying they'd sent me some questions if they want to say it was them that's fine it was a really interesting when they got in touch with me as well via the dms to say look i would like you to speak to chase about this so one of the listeners got in touch and you've you famously worked with the bledsoes so chris bledsoe who has one of the most well-known experiencers probably on the planet because yes. it seems he and his family, um, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know about Chris Bledsoe and his son, Ryan, and they've experienced orbs and beings and entities. And it just seems to happen on a regular basis. The whole house and family have something to them. What sort of work, before I ask the questions, have, have you done with the Bledsoe's and what's your experience been? Well, I've actually spent time with them. And that's when, you know, some of their critics, it's like, have you even spoken to him? Have you been to that place? Have, you know, have you investigated, you know, and, and the other thing is, you know, this man has been through everything. Like he was humiliated. Mufon ruined his life, literally sent him into almost bankruptcy. You know, I mean, Mufon absolutely devastated him. And this is the guy that comes through. So what I do know is that through my invest, like spending time with them, Ryan is amazing. This is a good kid. His kids, all of them are like amazing in something. So like his daughter, well, she was, you know, homecoming queen and I was there to watch her get crowned, which is a big deal because I was homecoming queen. So it was a big deal, but she, you should hear her play piano. She's a savant. It's, it's crazy. And you know, the, the whole family is extraordinary and I have been there and have personally seen and actually taken samples of crazy crap. Period. So, on that then, what, uh, the listener who got in touch um, wanted me to ask about a potential abduction experience you had had with Chris, Chris Bledsoe and your husband, I believe. Um, I, I, I don't confirm or deny my husband was in there, and I'll tell you why, because he's still um, 
has a security clearance working for, you know, um, people. So um, I'm not going to confirm or deny he was on that team. But um, yes, uh, there was something so weird because we get this call and, you know, this woman's freaking out. She's a, a registered nurse because her husband's a police officer. And there were two police officers that called to this area. And it's in this little batch of woods. I don't know if they have this in the UK, but in the United States, when you have big power lines, you know, like those big, um, they're the, I don't I, know how, what you call they're them. Called, they're called pylons in the UK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, but they always have this little batch of woods that kind of helps to eat up some of the EMF before it reaches the neighborhoods. And they're little, they're not big. And anyway, the, these police officers called out to this property because people called in and they thought that there were kids playing and there's an old slaves quarters. So this is a very historic site. Kids like to go and party and go in and, you know, so the cops go out there and they're walking out and they see this being what they reported to me. And it was like seven foot tall, maybe eight, but more like seven. And it was really, really thin. And they described it where their head was like a balloon, where it's really kind of tiny at the bottom, but real big at top. And it was white. And it looked at them and it kind of ducked behind a tree for a moment, but then it came back out. They're police officers. What do they do? They do what they're trained to do. They pull out their weapons and they told it to freeze, which seems silly now, but in the moment, they don't know what that is. And they're not thinking alien or ghosts. They're thinking kids playing pranks. So they say freeze. All of a sudden that being kind of crouches just a little and looks like it's going to lunge them and they fired their weapons. Well, being on duty, and the minute they did, the being was gone, just gone. Well, the minute they fired their weapons, they're on duty, so they have to report it. And when they told their stories, of course, they they were just the butt of every single joke for the next couple of weeks. And, and the lady called me because she was worried because she believed her husband, and he was really having a hard time with it. He couldn't, he couldn't sleep. You know, there was, you know, just things, and he, was, he didn't care about the teasing, he just like, there was just something going on there and it just really shook him up. So I agreed to go out there and I pulled a team together. So because these police officers were being ridiculed, Chris Bledsoe just lives right in the next town over. And knowing what he's been through, I thought would be the perfect liaison or kind of contact when I left, you know, I'm very scientific. I don't do a lot of the, you know, um, but Chris would be the perfect, person to to continue to help them. And so we get, we go out there and we're investigating and, you know, there's a team of us. I wanted to go out because of the, um, the power lines send off a lot of EMF. Well, EMF's dangerous. Um, it can cause hallucinations, make you feel like you're being followed. You know, it, it causes a lot of paranormal type symptoms. So I wanted to go out and measure how much of that um, was coming off the power lines, but also how, when did it end? Like, when did it dissipate through these woods? So I'm starting to go out and I get, you know, some of my, my readings or whatever, but we enter the woods. It's at night. We've already been there in the, you know, slaves quarters, looking at the area. They saw the being like, this is a tiny patch of woods. You could almost, almost from one end across and see the opening to the big field and the power lines. So we get in there and it's nighttime and we're walking and walking and I'm starting to get a little like, like, wait a minute guys, like it's not that big. What's going on. And we 
came down this little ditch. It was like a, a little ditch and there was, we came out of it. And at that point I knew from previously being there, we should have seen the field and the power lines and the opening at least. And it wasn't there. We walk around for a little bit. I mean, you know, I can't really, I don't really guess at how much time we did. I can tell you it was enough that I was really getting a little peed. You know, I get a little peeved because this is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I'm leading a team and I can't get us to the other side of this freaking little, what, maybe one acre, maybe three, one to three acres. Like, come on. All of a sudden we come back up to this, this ditch and we go down it and we come up and we, and sure enough, there it is. The There is the opening like it should have been the first time. Well, at this point, it was a little bit before this, several people on, on the team were not feeling good, feeling nauseous, feeling a little dizzy. We had to stop for about five minutes for everybody to kind of settle down. But uh, it was a couple weeks later where one of the people that I, I trust that helps me with uh, evidence actually called and said, Chase, you're not going to like this. <laughs> Sit down. I'm like, oh, God, I hate it when they say that. And he said, all three helmet cams are missing eight minutes. So I called Chris Bledsoe and I'm like, Chris, I just heard from so-and-so, the evidence guy. I, I can't believe what he told me. He says, yeah, we're missing about 10 minutes, right? Blown away. True story. I was just like, I'm like, Chris, why didn't you say something before? And they all know I wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> I needed evidence. You know, I didn't believe that there was any missing time. I would have never said that. I would have said, absolutely not. We were in that woods. We just couldn't get out. So, you know, that, that I think believe that's what the person was um, referring to. Yes. During um, that time, also, we did see, Chris pointed out at one point, he, he tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, do you see that? And I did see, like, these two eyes watching us. And they were pretty high up. So, you know, it was kind of that eye shine. Does that make sense? Yeah. And Chris, Chris saw it. Two other people saw it. I saw it. And it, it was odd because you see something like that and we're just like, okay, we're just walking along. <laughs> like, you know, but yeah, that was that night. And it's, it's got the hallmarks of a classic potential abduction experience or missing time or something's happened with, you know, going round and round and you think, I know you get the feel for a distance and this isn't quite right. So the person did elaborate and he believes that speaking with the Bledsoe's that there was potential that it was filmed with sound that the video was seen and you that potentially Chris believes you were taken to a moon base. Um, I haven't, it, it's, it's funny because I haven't had time to really back up. Like Chris learns more and more with his experiences. Um, I don't remember any of it. Honestly, if I was taken to a moon base, that would be cool as crap. And I wish I remembered it. But right now I can tell you, I, I honestly, I have no idea. And what Chris, you know, comes up with is really something that I would give it, a, I would give it a lot of credibility. I'm not so sure I believe it all, but it's not that he's a liar or it's not that he exaggerates. It's because maybe I'm not there yet. I, I don't know. But um, I do know that Chris and his son, Ryan, is Ryan impressed me totally. In fact, I was the first and only person to hear what he went through personally since he so told that story one time to move on. 
and he hasn't spoken to anyone since. I'm the only person he talked to about that. And that was the kind of trust we had. And, you know, I just, you know, Chris is, Chris is a, a, a legit phenomenon. I am. Um, I spoke to Ryan on the very first weeks of starting this podcast on Twitter. Um, I was reaching maybe a little bit high for for really early on, even though like Gary, Sean, the, the people I spoke to in the early episodes were amazing to come on for an absolute nobody uh, to speak to me. Maybe now with a little bit more steam behind us, I will get back in touch with Ryan again. But so yeah, yeah, because he's a, he's a great kid. He he really just kind of wants to move on. Like it just didn't hurt Chris. This kid was in high school and they called him a liar on TV, which proven to be absolutely wrong. You know, MUFON's, you know, lie detector test was bogus. It was completely done in a wrong way. Um, everything they did was wrong. Honestly, I'm here to tell you. And, and many other experts will tell you that as well. Um, completely blew it. And they kind of set him up. It was horrible. But this kid at you know, in high school at that young, he's a, he's a young male, you know, really kind of coming up. It devastated them. Do you know that because of what MUFON and that TV show said that his children were actually pulled from school several times a year and asked, how are things at home? Is your dad still talking about alien? Like you can't even imagine the devastation and this family even, even almost broke apart. They were this close, like hanging on the thread. And they've managed to become back and back strong. And that's just uh, the will of, you know, it's, it's a good example for other people who may be having a hard time with some things is that, you know, with the right structure or the right kind of nudge, you're going to make it, you're going to be okay. You're not going to be the same, but you, but you can, you can make things better. And that's that's well known. If you if you're in this subject or in this topic, I think we've all experienced to some degree. You and the like the kind of almost more celebrity you've had, and you've appeared on TV shows and everything. So we can say that too that you get a lot of flack, whether it's from family, from friends, from colleagues. The subject still has that stigma, and there, there are questions based on that as well. But you, you've okay. said that I was really interested in the way you answered part of one of the questions, and I appreciate it's for all I like to th- talk about the subject seriously and objectively. No matter who you speak to, when you start asking about moon bases, that is a more out there aspect of the subject. But still, you said that maybe potentially you're just not there yet to discuss or think or really be able to open up that that may have happened or may not have. Have you ever thought about or tried hypnotic regression for that? Um, I I have, and I've actually been offered by some of the best out here, and. The reason I don't is I kind of feel like if I if I'm not remembering something, maybe I'm not supposed to, and I'm okay. But I'm stable right now. <laughs> it's like you know things are going really well. Do I really want to like flip my life upside down? And it and it and to me it's like if it happened, that's great. Um, and how am I going to prove it anyway? I mean, what good is that going to do in the long run? You look at people like Travis Walton, who has one of like or Chris Bledsoe, the most amazing, credible stories ever. My favorite part of Travis Walton is he never said he was an abductee. That was all done for him before he got back. So, you know, these guys have been, they've been shredded and shredded and shredded. And why? I, I just, I tell my, I tell my witnesses, you want to come out, potentially this, 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 it could happen. Potentially, you get invited to a couple conferences, and then people kind of forget you after a while. 
Um, you know, so I'm, I'm very, very blunt. And I just give them the whole picture. Some come out, some don't. Did you speak to Luella Zondo about the experience? Um, you know, I don't think I have. And it's mostly because when we're together, like the last time I saw him, he was here. They were filming in D.C. My husband and I met him and um, Anthony, the director or the showrunner, and the whole the whole staff was there. And we just met for dinner and just had a really great time. Um, I've been to uh, the to the Stars Academy headquarters three times. Um, one was a, with a meeting. Um, the other two were just kind of, hey, Lou, we're you know down in Twenty Nine Palms visiting my son. What are you doing? He's like, come on up. I can't stand it. So, you know, we'll go up there. And again, extremely generous because, and I'm just gonna be honest. We go out into the store and I'm like, oh, I need some swag. He's like, pick out anything you want. It's on me. So, I mean, you know, and my husband was with us because honestly, Lou is, my husband texts him as much as I do, so to speak. And um, they're veterans, they're um, military veterans together. They come from the same cloth and they knew each other. They're brothers. And so there's, there was an immediate bond between all of us and to this day, he treats me kind of like a little sister. Well, um, if you ever, um, well, next time you speak to Lou, I, I just spent like $100 on T-shirts and hoodies. So yeah, you can <laughs> tell me throw in an autograph next time if he spots the, if right? he spots the name. Um, but yeah, I, I had to give in as well because I've wanted to buy some stuff from the store. And listen, I've, I've always said it's not a secret. And I'm sure there's people listening to this that hate Two of the Stars and I bang on about it. I'm an absolute fanboy for the unidentified for Lou, Tom, the whole crew what they do yes they've made mistakes no they're not perfect and i I don't think people have to believe in them but whether you believe their whole story whatever they're doing they have opened up this conversation in a way that no one else ever has and i feel there's a whole part of ufology and the history of it that is not irrelevant now but it's time that that's locked up and moved on from because the stars academy has outgrown the status quo. They have raised that bar so high that if you're not having, you know, people with almost security clearances and, and evidence and videos from our best tech out there, you know, our fighter jets gathering information. And so, um, yeah, it, they've raised the bar and I, I, it needed to be done. Um, we've been redundant spinning wheels. I mean, you know, MUFON has a, a decent role as collecting reports. What have they what have they put out in 50 years? Zilch, zilch, nothing. And that really has affected the field of ufology or science behind it or anything. So, you know, I think these groups and, you know, even some of the investigators like myself, if you're not going to up the game, if you're not going to somehow work on security clearances, you won't be part of the discussion in the future of where this is going. Unless you're a young gun. These young guns. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like you're, you're one of the, you know, front guys as one of the young guns, Danny Silva. There's, there's a few others and they're rocking it. And people like me and George Knapp and a lot of other people are looking at them, Richard Dolan. And we're looking at you guys like, thank friggin' goodness, because you're coming at this in the way it should be. You're not stumbling around in a field, you know, with a little, you know, pencil and pen, which or paper which, you know, okay, so you say this, where's the evidence? So you guys are really pushing this even further up and a lot of people can't keep up with you. And I think that's where some of the resentment may be, 
but suck it up people because we're all about this, this movement going forward. And we needed the young guns. We needed the younger guys to come take over. Like I'm old, Linda Moulton Howell. Like we're, we're getting up there to where we're almost, am I going to retire? No, I don't think so. But, <laughs> but, you know, I think there's things that we have to, I, I love, um, I've asked deep, uh, deep Frazad on UFO Twitter. He's helped in a very, very, um, important case that's actually um, tremendously, it, it's like one of the best cases I've ever had. And I reached out to him because of what his science has done, his science backing up. And he worked with my witnesses like they were amazing. And so, you know, I need, we, we need to start bringing in, you know, the younger groups. I, everyone knows that I love Danny Silva. Call me a fangirl. I don't care. I love the guy. And, you know, it's just, that's, that's how all this goes. But UFO Twitter is kind of my favorite go-to right now because the, the people that are following that are involved. Does it get a little dicey sometimes? Yeah, and that's okay. Does it get a little heated in debate? It does. That's okay. What it is, is this core group of people that, you know, there's Paul and Steven and you, you know, them, you know, them all like we're all like there's a core and we're going to work together and we're going to keep pushing this forward. And, and that's it. And what excites me just before I move on is I'm going to talk about Roswell, the Phoenix Lights, Betty and Barney Hill, Travis Walton. All these cases have their place and yes. have yet to be properly explained. And I do mean like as in 100 percent, this is what happened. Uh, what I'd rather is the next time we really discuss those in great detail is because of what potentially TTSA or another group that might come along, who knows what they find out and what comes to fruition. Those are then being explained as to here's what actually happened because we've got incidents we're finding out happening last week, today, maybe right now there's a, car a nuclear carrier group out somewhere in an ocean yeah. being buzzed by Tic Tacs. And if it's US technology, wow how did they break the laws of physics and when did they get this and how did they discover it? Is it back engineered? Is it you know, what happened that that's fine. But if it's something else, then great. But th this stuff's happening now. This is the stuff I want to see and hear about and see the cool videos of because everyone from Roswell is dying or dead, which is, which is awful, but it's because it's been so long. Whereas I feel it's, it's incredible how quickly people want to move on past the Nimitz Princeton incident. For me, for me, that's the new Roswell as, as we stand but people absolutely. are sick of it already. Yes, absolutely. And you're correct. And that's, you know, in Rendlesham, you know, one of the best documents, my favorite case, actually. And, you know, but we've heard him for the last 40 years. Come on, guys. Like, we have to have something different, which was what was so refreshing when, you know, um, when Lou put the stealth out here. And, you know, this is a guy of tremendous honor and character. So, you know, when you look back on his career and vetted a DD-214, the guy's not lying about any of it. Um, you know, we needed that. We needed that new boost of a little adrenaline to get guys like you in the game full time, helping us run those balls down. In fact, um, I would say that a lot of you guys are, you know, um, quarterbacking now. So Shauna, who is one of the patrons as well, she's got a couple of questions. Um, have you got any advice on how to change someone's beliefs when it comes to UFO or paranormal events when the evidence just isn't enough for them? Yeah, I, a lot of times you're not going to change their mind. What you can do is just maybe 
challenge them with some of the latest evidence, which is, you know, a lot of people will kind of, I love ancient aliens, obviously. Um, I believe some of it, some of it is a little stretched and far-fetched for me, but um, you look at unidentified and the people behind the New York Times article and just the credentials and to remind them of the tech. These, this is our millions of dollars spent on a camera in a friggin' flyer or a jet, right? A fighter jet. And, you know, it comes up with this kind of evidence. And then you have witnesses of some of our, the most trained and dedicated, smartest people to fly these jets. And, and they're trained observers. Obviously, they know what's up there. And they're telling you, we didn't know what it was. And here's the proof. And we sent it to how many labs, you know, labs that we could never, we don't even know about, right? <laughs> like, you know, and every, and, and they're coming out. And then you got some guy saying it's a seagull. So <laughs> it's just, that's our world. Yeah. And I mean, but you that's about- I would go with it. I would, I would go with the best evidence and modern evidence um, because that's what's playing right now, like even on Tucker. So, you know, now that is being um, given some respect in the mainstream media. Um, but that that's what I would suggest. And if they don't come forward or they don't drop, they kind of probably don't want to for whatever reason. And um, you mentioned earlier on Anthony, which was Anthony Lippe, who's the showrunner for Unidentified. And I, I spoke with him uh, for a preview of season two. And he mentioned that in all that testimony that they had sent in, uh, they actually had people from NASA get in touch who just weren't ready to go on camera with some of the things they were talking about. And I thought that was incredible. And, you know, if we get a season three, that would be great to hear. But like you say, there's there's a lot of really credible evidence coming out there. And as crazy as some of it might sound, these are from the people that these are the ones you have to listen to and have to believe. Yeah, because they have the security clearances and are part of the discussion that none of us are. And honestly, when he, when Anthony can say that, Anthony's completely right. And they're even getting things brought in where I would imagine, let me, let me put it this way. I would imagine that Lou Elizondo, Stephen Justice, and Chris Mellon would be read into certain aspects of the phenomena, even if it comes from outside sources like NASA or, you know, the Army or even NSA. Um, you know, I've often said, you know, ufology has always had this kind of disdain for government people. Like a CIA guy can't see a, have a sighting. Like we've, we've, kind of cut our nose off to spite our face for 50 years with a lot of the thinking and mindset in this and, you know, the pushback, um, even with government, you know, when you, when you're trying to lobby or get someone's attention, you don't stand out there screaming, you're a liar and you're hiding everything. And we want to know the truth now, <laughs> you know, in 50 years, we have picketed. We have had two whole citizens hearings on disclosure. We have petitioned. They don't want us. They, they, you know, their mindset. Who are you going to call? You got to call a Chase Kletzi, or you can call Steve Justice. And listen, it's, it's a really good point because I think sometimes you can just get so lost in what we're used to. Like this is the mindset. This is what the, the process we follow with these things. These are the questions yeah. that we always ask. I spoke to Gary Voorhees, PJ Hughes, and Kevin Day on a roundtable for the incident or the Nimitz Princeton, and and they mentioned they were talking about. One of the things that people very quickly will debunk the whole incident of being US tech or a military 
trial or test on its own people, which let's be honest, I wouldn't put it past any government to do that, as bad as it may be, um, was how quickly people appeared on the carrier after Fravor, Commander Fravor had his, his like you know, his contact, if you want to call it that. But they they made they mentioned that remember this wasn't a, an incident that happened in, in 30 minutes in one day. These things were tracked by various organizations. You don't know who was looking at these things for two weeks yet. And I think they actually mentioned that there are organized. I, I suggested something like, you know, a, a missile, um, what would you call it? A missile tracking station that would look for inter- intercontinental ballistic missiles, right. potentially, right. because they wouldn't name it. But they said there are stations on the coast that may have been watching these things come in from wherever they were coming from. And that's why they were so quick to, when there was any kind of engagement, appear on that carrier and be like, no, we'll take that. We'll take this. Here's and so you can totally get that and sometimes it's just that what if that isn't out there yet and I think people like Luel Elizondo whether you're a fan of his or not he's very good at what he does and he's, he's he drops in like you say subtle easter eggs and hints but sometimes not so subtle when he'll say what if this and he does that look that you've probably seen in person but I've watched on numerous YouTube clips and interviews where he looks up in a way as if how do I say this in a way exactly. that I'm allowed to say yeah. it um, yeah. and he just drops a bit <laughs> of a uh, which, I, which I always love um, but yeah um, and you mentioned lobbying in DC Shauna also wanted to ask how much of your time do you still devote to lobbying I know you're, you're not registered anymore for that and I'm not totally clued up on lobbying but yeah, and I didn't register because I never needed it. It's 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 a registration that's kind of like a look at me, look at me, or you know, I, I don't I don't know, you know how to describe it. I just didn't need it. Um, if you have if you're the right person with information that they want to know, they're going to let you in, and that's exactly what happened. I talked to junior staffers. I have talked to one senator, and some of the information was really just backing up um, some of the cases I knew about of what to the stars is putting out, but you know, um, lobbying right now, um, is almost impossible because of COVID and, you know, they're just not letting people, if you're not essential, you're not going to get in and, but you can still make phone calls and there are UFO Twitter. Oh my gosh. Like how active are we as a group calling, emailing, like we're always putting that stuff out. I put the, I put the number out for, you know, the senators, like here's their phone number guys, like call them. And, uh, but we have to be smart about it. We don't want to call and say, you know, we know you're keeping secrets and we want disclosure now. Um, I would do it smart. Okay. So, so when I'm talking to like Senator um, from Kentucky, um, oh, I just lost his name. It'll come to me in a minute. Anyway, I'm talking to him. He's all about the money. So, you know, this is a libertarian. This is a Tea Party guy. And so, um, you know, I call and I said, you know, really interested. I, I saw this thing on Tucker, Tucker Carlson, about these videos. Like, where's that money coming from? Like, uh, this whole, like, egg tip. Like, where did they get that kind of money? And, you know, that gets a riled up. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to know, too. And, I, and are they still investing in this? So these are the questions that I ask when I'm there. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit there and, and petition, and you know, point fingers that the government's keeping secrets. Of course, they're keeping secrets. We have enemies, and even our friends spy on us. How do you think, you know, friggin' Israel got, the, you know, their latest helicopter? You know, so it's there are realities here that the average person like myself really doesn't realize until you get in the game. And the only way you're gonna get in that game is realize where 
their, where the influence is coming from. And in DC, if you're an insider, and I'm telling you, you can go and you'll see Steve Bannon, you'll see Raheem Kassam, you'll see Jack Maxey. You go to Morton Steakhouse and you start a discussion around the bar. The other place that's very, very effective where you're finding the right people with the right connections is the Army-Navy Club. That's a club of former officers or even, you know, active duty officers. Yeah. And you mingle and you share things and, you know, they hook each other up and they're, you know, giving, giving you job opportunities or whatever. But there's also an avenue where you're learning information. You're a trusted part if you're one of them. And that my husband is. So, you know, I think it's not so much, you know, just going up and, you know, walking the halls anymore, especially with COVID. They're not, it's just not going to happen. You have to have the inside connections and know where the discussion will be listened to and moved forward. And it's really interesting how you talk about a senator and how if they've got a particular interest in money, you talk about money. That's very similar, I'm guessing, to if you wanted to approach the military, you would use a threat narrative because you would want to discuss. So, And that's where I think people get too hung up on. Oh, it's, right. they're talking about threat and these things want to attack and how do we shoot them down? But no, when you're talking military, you're you're talking defence and the opposite of defence is attack. So that's how right. you engage these people and how you get into that conversation. And the guy I talked to was Rand Paul. So when you, you contact him and, right, he doesn't want to hear anything about UFOs, he could care less. Or it's like, well, is there something going on now I need to know? Well, yeah, where's the money going? <laughs> so, you know, you have to be, you have to play this. And in D.C., it is a game. I hate to say it. It is horrible and it's brutal. Um, D.C. is tough. And you've got to honestly be, you need to fit in with the, the insiders if any information is going anywhere. And that's why Lou and the guys are at 150% um, the guys on the inside of all of this right now. Um, that was Shauna. So Carl had a question which keeps us on the same theme. Hi, Chase. Do you see the trend continuing with more senators ignoring the stigma on the subject and tackling the UAP issue more head on? I think it's definitely in more the in, um, the intelligence side of the House and, you know, the, that kind of committee. Uh, the Justice Department's not going to be involved in that or anything at this time. But the Intelligence Committee has all these subcommittees. And once you start getting working through that, um, I do believe it's moving forward. It's going to be slow. These guys can't even go to work half the time. It's annoying. Um, they don't even show up. So right now, I think, you know, COVID's kind of flipped everything. But make no bones about this is still being taken seriously and being moved not only through the Pentagon, but, you know, through the intelligence of the people that should know, um, the, the military hasn't stopped working because of COVID and neither have like some of these, you know, the CIA, the FBI, whoever is involved in that, um, you know, they're not on break either. I'd like to follow up on that one with has or is the U.S. election that's coming up affecting the progress on this? And is it going to make a difference as to who gets into government next? as to how this progresses, or is this something that is is apart from that? Yeah, and it doesn't matter, like, who you're voting for or who you're rooting for. I've always seen Trump as a disruptor. This guy is not a career politician. So what do you do when 
you know, somebody comes in who is, who knows how DC works. This is, don't ruff, don't ruffle this one. Don't go after Nancy Pelosi, you know, let her think she's a neck or whatever. You know, it's, I think we need a disruptor. I think we need someone who doesn't give a crap who it pisses off if there's secret keepers over here. I don't think he cares. Um, he's talked about it a little bit. Um, I haven't heard Biden say anything. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily about the president anymore. Um, they're temporary employees. They're not going to get everything everybody knows, and they don't want anything. They just get the most important. But they're temporary, so, you know, they may not get everything, if that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. Acom on Twitter was asking, what do you think the next steps are for Congress? I think they need to push through, um, which I think that people think it's already passed, and it hasn't. This bill is still sitting. Um, it's through everything it needs to be. Um, it just needs to be finalized. And <clears throat> once that goes forward, then we start asking about these <clears throat> mysterious objects and, and things like this as we go forward. Again, it's how you message this if you're going to get a response. But it's the people that need to keep this going. Because if they're not interested, it's going to go right back where it usually is. And that's the military complex. Are you hopeful um, that if and when this UAP task force comes to fruition and pub sort of report that it's it's worthwhile? Yes, but we won't see it. We may get some of it, but we're not going to see that report. And you, you mean we're not going to see the good stuff that we want to actually see? That's That's the issue. We're not going to get to see the good stuff that we would want to see. No, because if we really do have it in our possession... And I believe we do. Um, we don't want Russia and China to know and even take this even further. Does that make sense? Like, we don't want them to know because now it's a new target of espionage. and it, It's very technical when you start thinking of national security. Yeah, um, it's, that, that's a good point because that's something like, obviously, you, you straight away go to the superpowers, Russia, China, US, and if one of them's got it, then it's a new technology. But then I never thought about espionage before. And then you start to get a bit James Bond with it, don't you? That you then have people infiltrating and spies within governments and passing things back and forward. So yeah, it just opens up arguments that you see the common people, we just don't think about. And it, it goes into like heavy conspiracy territory. But it's just also fact that there's there a lot of money and power at stake and it goes beyond, you know, are, are aliens real, yes or no? Yeah, and just having that exotic tech, it'd be the new Cold War. I mean, you think of the Cold War, it was all about, you know, obtaining uranium and nukes and, you know, the fastest plane and, you know, it was just this big arms race. And it very well could turn into that again if there's, you know, confirmation on certain things. And I just don't, I just don't think our protectors or the people that are in charge of our safety are going to put that out there. Um, that leads us on to a, a similar question from Breakwater. Do you believe we have crashed materials from UFOs? Two of the Stars Academy have said we do, but where would these materials be? Or is it a lie and we don't have anything? No, they're not lying. They absolutely uh, know of crashed material. And there are several ways. Now, I don't know where they store it, but, and I've never been told, that's a good question. I should ask that next time. <laughs> but truthfully, right? truthfully um, didn't Robert Bigelow 
Like he's been like a center trusted contractor in this whole thing forever. Then he admitted building a larger warehouse to store some of these objects. Um, I would, I would, if, if it was me, I would guess that he had most of it. <clears throat> and the reason being, being private industry, he's not required FOIA. So the, he doesn't have to tell anybody anything, including the government. So it's probably the safest place to keep it. He had the security, he had the right bit, you know, he had everything he needed to put it there. That's my personal guess. I don't think Area 51 and all that, I think it's in private industry. <clears throat> and, and that was something that follows up on the, there was a lot of focus on the $22 million budget that ATIP or, or, or OSAP had when a lot of people made the point of that, the, they were just, one, sharing resources the government already had, so they didn't need all this fancy tech and secret offices, and I imagine a lot of it was more administrative than people probably realised, like someone like Lou had to work in. But then what in the private sector, what was their involvement and what of that money went to them? Or obviously, there was probably money that we didn't see on reports that went to these people. And like you say, it, it just makes it a lot easier to keep things out of FOIA requests and they can do things that the government don't have to know about or it's plausible deniability, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, there's a, there's a few insiders. And one of the <clears throat> people out there that is probably, well, he's a legit journalist, first of all, but George Knapp, He's in the center of all of this, and they trust him because he he knows when things need to be put out or whatever. But probably one of the tr most trusted journalists in all of this is George Knapp, um, and he's part of what we call the Vegas Pack, and that is <clears throat> um, you know Bigelow and and the guy who owns uh, Above Top Secret. I forgot on Mark Allen, um, you know, George Knapp, you know, there's, there's this whole little group of guys out there that, you know, they, they stick together and then they're working some things. George Knapp is very much a part of um, this, this phenomenon. <clears throat> I'm obviously a big fan of George Knapp and, and coast to coast and all these kind of work he's done over the years as well. So um, another I question. So I was so fortunate. I got to speak with him in uh, Branson, Missouri, there's 3,000 people in the audience, and um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm total fangirl with George Knapp. He's amazing, and he's so nice. He's such a nice guy. I loved he done an interview. Um, I think it was with Jeremy Corbell on Coast to Coast a few months ago, and he, he, he talked about how he could have broken the story before the New York Times that Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal did, but he realised, like a lot of people would have, but still have done it anyway, he realised the greater good here as they break the story, it's more legitimate. A lot of people don't know who George Knapp is in the mainstream media worldwide, but people know the New York Times. So it was the right thing to do. And I think that probably gets him a lot of respect in the background, I, more so than, than what he already had. And that's where exactly. And that's why a lot of the groups are getting smaller out here. And to have somebody with the kind of class and understanding and the um, just being so modest that I don't need that. I don't need to be the guy, like, you know, be a team player and really do the right thing for the phenomena. That's who I want to work with. That's who I want to talk to. I don't want to talk about some of these other bozos that they're all about, like shock jockey -phology and putting people down and, you know, making things up and doing full radio shows, tearing down character. Who wants to work with them when you can, when you can, engage guys like George Knapp and Lou and Steve Justice. 
Think of Chris Mellon. Oh my gosh. Read his resume and realize that every single thing on every word on that page has a hundred people that respect him and trust him completely. So, you know, I think that's what people forget too, is that, you know, there's, there's things still going on out here and the person that has that information may not need the credit. And there's a few of us that, that do that. And George is the example of class and grace. You know, I've mentioned this before, but one of, one of my favourite parts of Unidentified Season 2, and I feel it's absolutely missed out, and you talk about Easter eggs with people, when, when the Black Triangle episode um, with David Marlar, is a bit large part of it, and Chris Mellon, and Chris Mellon's got that look on his face of, I wish I could just tell you, you know what, but yes. it, it does a very rare thing, and Chris Mellon goes do you know what I think the Black Triangles are doing? And he basically says he thinks they're mapping the Earth. And I was like, he 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 knows more than most what's going on, and he's telling yeah. you there what is more than likely happening. So when he says these are mapping the Earth, I just it's never really been picked up on, and people have not heard a lot of follow up on that. And he said that on camera. Yeah, and Dave Mahler is probably one of our best researchers. He has the biggest library out of anybody. It took a one guy with the <clears throat> fortitude and the foresight to start gathering real, real information and not just everybody's job. It's, it's just, it's so impressive what he's done. He's the only one for me. He's, he's outdone MUFON. He's outdone any other group out here. Um, museums, all of it. His collection is shocking. That's incredible. It's, it's yeah. Like yeah. when when I saw that, that was like a like a I'm going to use the phrase a wet dream. Um, when like if you're, <laughs> if you're into UFOs and you're a, a guy in your thirties and you see that, you think, oh my god, I wish my wife would let me do that. Um, but yeah, I'm actually talking to David Marlar, have been for a little while, so I'm hoping to get him on the show eventually as well. Um, moving on to a question from Mike Chase: What for you is the most compelling piece of evidence or footage out there for UFOs, aliens, UAP? For me, it used to be the um, metal, like uh, Bob White metal um, or just the Rendlesham, like, you know, when he was talking into the tape recorder in real time, they find, you know, um, elevated nuclear readings and or radiation readings and, you know, document these holes in the ground or what could be considered landing gear. Um, those to me are the most compelling. Um, also the witnesses like Travis and Chris that, you know, how easy for one of these guys and that whole Travis Walton incident could have just said, you know what guys, <laughs> all right, you got us, you know, we're lying. What they were even offered money. And as, as that time, that money was kind of a big deal. They didn't, and they don't always get along. So it would be easy to just screw one of them. Right. And just say, bah, and it has never happened. So to me, the Travis Walton, Chris Bledsoe, um, in the physical evidence, some of the things we see, the implants, um, you know, most of them are junk, they're BBs or whatever. Um, but there are some, there's some really compelling um, objects that have come out of some people that really we need to pay attention to. <clears throat> have you ever got to examine any of those ones? Yes. Um, I, in fact, <laughs> Um, right now, um, moving forward, one, and this is a really great one, guys, because 
it didn't come from UFO people. And see, because, you know, even when I'm having my analysis done, I never use UFO people. It's like the prosecution using only their witnesses to make a case, you know, make it, you know, it, it's just, I don't do it. So I love this case because this is the guy who's a veteran and he's at the VA, he's getting his checkup done. And last minute, he kind of said, hey, doc, you know, I got this thing in my hand. It's been there, you know, since I was active duty. Is there any way we can get it taken out? He gets an x-ray. Guy goes, yeah, that's pretty. It's almost on the surface. I can take that out. Numbs the guy's hand, takes it out. And the witness says, do you mind if I keep that? And he admits he doesn't know why he said that. And the doctor's like, okay. So he puts it in like a little prescription bottle and he actually dates it and puts a timestamp on it. And the guy goes and he starts feeling like, like he's just had experiences that he's not remembering. So he brought it to Oklahoma UFO group, but they were kind of retiring a bit. So they, I got called in, let's do this. So let me direct it to some of them. So it went to the lab I use. That's really for initial analysis. Like, is this something before I have to put like, like thousands of dollars, you know, like we do with the DNA, let's have something there first. And the lab tech, um, it, it's magnetic, so you could clearly see on the video that it's jumping to that magnet. The other thing was on the other side of it, when you put the magnet out, there's kind of like these hair fibers that were kind of reaching out for it. Creeped her out so bad, she's like, take it. So <laughs> I actually sent it um, to somewhere else. I can't disclose that right now. Um, I will because I don't keep secrets. Um, you know, on my website or even um, – I. I give the name of the place I went. I don't keep my lab secret, the guy who did it, you know, all of it. I, I put out everything because I think you need to be able, the public needs to be able to vet your experts as well. So anyway, that's, um, that's where we're going with that. I, I really have further stuff to do with that. Um, and I, honestly, I'm, I'm really wanting to the stars to jump on with me and help me with this one. I'll look forward to keeping up to date with that one as well. Um, I'm going to be really cheeky. There are still some more listener questions, but I've got one from me. So uh, from a fan's point of view, you wrote a children's book, Are Aliens Really Real? Um, how important is it to engage our children early in, in this conversation? And do you have any advice for a parent who would want to do that? I, You know, that it's so funny because my the, the, every question really came from my grandson when he was like five years old. And I just kind of wrote them down. I didn't realize it was going to turn into a book, but then it did. And I thought it was a really great idea. But I think to really discuss mysteries and, and just really encourage them being curious and to do their own research and to make up their own mind. Because when at the end, the grandmother in the book with their grandson going through this little park with aliens then little aliens in the background somewhere, which is kind of an innuendo of just because you didn't see him doesn't mean he's not real or he's there. And, you know, but, um, you know, the grandmother never says, yes, aliens are real. She encourages him to say, well, you know, some people, some researchers really believe this and, you know, they might have a little to that. Um, but she really encourages them to make up their own mind. So that's, I would give them as, as much as they want to know about it and, you know, but encourage them to be curious and, 
not to be afraid to put boots on the ground and ask those questions. Like these, these kids, you know, I'm a grandmother. My oldest is 18. My youngest is four. And, you know, I just, I look at their little faces. This is our future. You know, just like the young guns. These are the guys coming up after you guys. You're going to be us one day. Old yeah. and grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grumpy already and 34 is pretty old. Um, but my little boy, like you say, your youngest grandchild is four. My little boy's four. And one of his favorite things to do is lay out on the trampoline in the back garden and use my binoculars to look for aliens that he says. Um, so he'll try and look at the moon and which is great and he'll say oh i think i saw a spaceship or i saw this and i just i just love him getting thinking like that early so that's pretty cool but um the, the book is available on amazon and i'll be picking up a copy as well for for my little boy um next question next question from paul is there anything lou elizondo told you previously that had little relevance at the time but later turned out to be an easter egg um paul did ask this on twitter and you said yes a few times so i'd like you to elaborate yeah. on that yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it comes from a friendship. So, you know, we're sitting at a table, we're sharing food, we're having a, you know, a couple cocktails and, you know, there's just little things. And Lou trusts us to keep our mouth shut because we come from the same, you know, arena he does, you know, especially with my husband. He probably has told my husband more than me because my husband's security clearance, but, you know, and my husband doesn't tell me crap either, by the way. And, it's, it's just, yeah, definitely Easter eggs, but mostly it's been, and he does the same thing with Danny Silva. It's like, we'll get a text message that says, hey, this just launched, and he gives us a, like a, a link or something, and, you know, we can put it out there first type of thing, or just, or we can see it first. It really isn't about popular. It's not this. This is getting ready to come out, and he does the same with Danny. That's really cool. When you have those, obviously the the Twitter picture of of you and Lou sitting at the table is the one everyone always likes and retweets and whatnot. Is there anything like you 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 ask him or you want to know that he, he just doesn't discuss? Is there anything you would love him to give you the answer to, but he just won't? Oh heck yeah! Like I ask him, like I also have like that military background bearing, you know, and uh, and and even my my boys are military, you know, so it's kind of like only one thing meaner than a Marine and that's his mama. So there's times when I'm looking at Lou and I'm just like, I know the language in, you know, and he's just like, can't go there. Can't go there. And you know, this man would never even, even to like my husband, you know, who is obviously honorable, but um, he would never disclose something that would, would be inappropriate. Never. My husband wouldn't, Lou wouldn't, uh, you know, they, these, these are the guys that, you know, we grew up with, so to speak. You know, I've been married to Pete for over 30, 33 years, 30 something, <laughs> but his career was over 30 years. So, you know, you know, we know these guys. I know Steve Justice. I know Lou Elizondo. Um, you know, uh, I know Chris Mellon, so to speak. The, these are where, same people we are. So it, it really caused a lot more. But that photo of the, of the two of us was actually the first time I ever met him. And that was in a MUFON interview. And since then, you know, we stay in touch and, you know, we're friends. I'll ask a question that will hopefully balance out a little bit of my TT, uh, TTSA fanboy status, right? Um, given I've just admitted to buying all the merchandise on their website recently as well. Um, do you think, Lou... Uh, and the rest of the crew, because there's, there's more than just Lou Elizondo in that group, but he's, he's he's the front man for it, even more so, I think, than Tom. He's the face now. Do you think he is happy where they are at right now? 
obviously they say that officially online. Do you think they are making the progress that he hoped to be making at I this do. point? I do, because uh, I know that they have put this this ball in so much further than most of us are going to realize right now. And these are the guys who do it. Um, I, I think he's very happy with the progress. I don't think he expected the backlash from the UFO community. You know, I, I think he expected when this day came out that we would all like rally around to try to help. And like, we've been waiting for this. Here's some great evidence, you know, but you know, the egos and the egos. And trust me, I know about the friggin' egos. I can't deal with them. You know, most of them are cowards, you know, running behind a big mouth, honestly. And, uh, but Lou, I do believe he's, he's happy where things are work wise. I think there's a mix with the backlash, which some of it I do understand, okay? I understand people or don't understand, and that's why I don't have time for a lot of them. But I think there's a mix of people are scared to get their fingers burned, and I put I put my faith in TTSA that they're going to kind of run with this, okay? If, if I had a religion right now, it would be to the Stars Academy and what they're looking to do, and I'm happy with that and taking their lead. But then I think there's a group that people talk about narratives, TTSA and what they want to do doesn't fit their narrative because and again I, I always throw out the same generic examples so apologies if this turns out to be true but you know if we find that people that throw their eggs in the basket of there's this alien race from a particular star system and they come here and they bring us love and light and blah 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 and if that turns out not to be true then that's going to be you know kind of detrimental so they don't want that to be true you've then got like we talked about those maybe UFO celebrities that make a lot of money um, from various, you know, books and agendas and, you know, yeah. bastardizations of the truth that maybe at one point yeah. they did have a bit of a knowledge of what was going on, but they have yeah. now chosen to make a couple of hundred thousand dollars off it and they don't want the truth to come out. So I think there's a lot of that goes on within the community and I can see where a lot of the backlash comes from, right or wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, the backlash is you know, to, to the stars, it even surprised me. I, you know, they, uh, even I, I wasn't a fan of to the stars at first. I have to be honest when they had that whole thing. I'm like, yeah, rock star is into, you know, secret intelligence meetings, a guy that just had an interest. So he's not the guy that actually had stuff coming in his hands. And I'm thinking bull crap. Then WikiLeaks friggin' drops the Podesta emails and there's Tom DeLong, and they're talking about these meetings. I'm like, holy crap. And, you know, so I just gave them a chance, and I just really looked into them, and and I did the one thing that anybody should do is, you know, you call them. Call to the stars. Call the building. You know, ask them if there's anybody available to answer a question. Um, you know, knock on the door. They have a whole storefront. It's amazing. Um, there's a security guard out there because, you know, Tom is a big star. And, uh you know, but it's, they're just, yeah, they're just awesome. You know, and I, I do believe that um, their heart's in the right place and they've really done their due diligence to push everything exactly where it should be right now. Absolutely. I had a little bit of a Twitter argument with someone recently who was claiming that they were in it for the money now i don't know what lou and chris mellon and those types bank balances are like i imagine far healthier than mine given what they used to do tom DeLong is a very rich man he has made a lot of money from you know you know about the melons 
uh, yeah, the the family he is yeah. either. And you know, so it's like, come on, guys. You know, we do have the charlatans that are in it for the money in the UFO community, and you either love them or you don't. So you know, we have to remember that these guys aren't UFO. They're not ufologists. They're not UFO investigators. They're government insiders, and everything about them is going to be about national security. That's what they know. That's what they know best. They're not going to be, you know, all about love and light until somebody proves to them there's love and light. What they're seeing right now is things in our airspace that we don't know what it is, and that's a threat. They're not saying aliens are going to kill us all. They're just saying those unknown objects in our space is a threat to national security. And people freak out over that. And it's just like, guys. They're not UFO people. They're government insiders. <laughs> National security. That's all they think. They know nothing else. It's crazy. But anyway. On that topic of, you know, what we're seeing in our, in our on that topic of what we are seeing in our airspace, uh, Leaf had a question. What is the probability senators have seen longer versions of the gimbal and go fast videos? There are longer versions. Have you seen them? I can't confirm or deny I've seen anything like that. <laughs> but there are longer versions, absolutely. Do you think senators have seen them and the people on, on the Hill and Congress? Absolutely, they have. Absolutely, they have. They have the need to know. They also have the clearance to see this kind of stuff. So, you know, when they're presenting their cases there, what we're getting in the public is as much as they possibly can give us. And they really are giving us as much as they can. Promise, I promise. You get into an intelligence committee and the need to know and the security clearances, um, that's when they're part of the discussion. And honestly, where things are right now with that, with our government, is we need to push for what's going on, what is going on with this whole topic. You know, can you look into it for me as, you know, the guy I elected in my state? And you know, that's where we go. But these guys, they're on it from the inside. And of course, they worked at the Pentagon. What is the Pentagon responsible for? The security of every single citizen in this country or anybody in this country, tourists, illegal aliens, it doesn't matter. That's their job. That's all they think about. So, you know, the love and light and, you know, all that, they will, I, I'm not even sure they even understand all that because they're not UFO people, if that makes sense. They're yeah. not studying all that. They're not reading everybody's books. They're not all into this. They're looking at national security, not UFOs. So from forgetting or remembering, I'm not from the US, okay? I don't have an interest in US national security outside of everyone just being safe and happy in general, okay? However, I would be really disappointed if, I would imagine these longer videos do exist, like you say, I would be really disappointed if the only reason we are not seeing longer videos is because the videos would show recording our military capabilities that they wouldn't want ad adversaries to see because I don't care what the US or Russia or China are trying to hide from each other. They do. Yes, they, they do. But they do. And there's ways and means, and that's that the ways and means of even how we get it or how good is our camera? Like how yeah. far is it catching things? This is all stuff the enemy would love to know. Um, yeah. You know, so the ways and means is very important. And of course they're not doing this as, so we're not, they're not thinking like, 
let's keep this secret. The public doesn't need to know. They can't handle it. They're keeping it secret because they don't want to know. They don't want Russia or China or other um, adversaries and enemies to know how good our tech can be because we're still using it. So oh, that, yeah. that's the other thing that people are, they have to remember these guys don't think like UFO people. They're thinking national security. So when they can only put part of a video out, they're giving us, I promise, every single little nugget they can, everything they can. Some things we're never going to see. Do you know where I'm coming from, though, that what, what I would want to see is, for example, on the, the, the gimbal video where it rotates, I'm hoping it doesn't cut off at that point because it goes into HD mode or 4K mode or ultra zoom, okay? What I'm hoping it cuts off for is because this thing rotates, shoots off, or more of them come into view, and I we then see something a little bit more... Not that this thing flying along at the speed it is and, you know, there's more of them on the ASA and all that, as we know now, it's been done to death. But I, I would like to think there's more to it that I would be interested in seeing. Not that, oh my God, look how clear that video is of that object in the distance. And imagine that was photographing or videoing some Chinese fighter jet, because that's not my interest. My interest is this right. is capturing right. potential spacecraft and that that would be my disappointment in it. But I totally understand the military perspective of we don't want you to know. And again, it, I suppose it's one for the debunkers and conspiracy theorists. You know, when you see the 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 gimbal, the go fast, and then there's the the one where it just goes out a shot, and people have argued whether it's just losing focus or whether it's. But people are saying no, it's shooting off at an incredible speed, and it's, right. it's still just a blur on the screen. But then I suppose the more you add into that, it adds more to to the US capabilities and what they could potentially film. So I get that. But again, I wouldn't care about that. I would want to, I, I right. think a longer video would just have a lot more cool stuff in it. I think all of us would feel this exact same way. And, you know, um, yeah, the fact that this is a military video, um, it's, it's, they're only going to give us what they can. Lou, you know, knew exactly what he was doing. And he put out exactly what was permissible to do. And, but you know, this guy knows so much more, so much more. <clears throat> yeah. And I think just the, the end of Unidentified Season 2, when he stands up and gets a little emotional, uh, which he doesn't tend to do, um, kind of told you that anyway. So, yeah, I totally get that. And he's a patriot and he's, he's you know, he's very proud of what he's done and he's, he's clearing seas and he sticks to that as much as it, it comes across that it may frustrate him at times, what he would love to tell that the American public and he's, yeah. as I hear from people who know him as well that I speak to that he's a really humble guy and he's not yes. one for the yeah. fame and celebrity, which he now has. And I, I, no hear, he, I hear even getting him onto Twitter was a bit of a, an effort as well. I know, right? We're, we're trying. Like, come on, Lou. And uh, that that was that was awesome. But he's he's also a dad, and he's a husband, and he has a family. You know, so people want to put Lou or, or any of the guys into the stars. You know, these are these are our fellow Americans that you know really are doing the right thing and trying to do what they need to do. And um, I'll tell you, anything they can put out, they're going to. Yeah. And I think that's one of those things. Once they're on TV and they're a talking head, that their life to 
the people with an interest in that subject as well just talk about UFOs and talk about aliens. They don't realise that a, a Luella Azondo or a Tom DeLonge or a Chris Mellon finishes that show and drives home and cooks their kids' dinner and then has to deal with you know a stomach upset or the dog has pissed all over the couch or that still happens right. to these people in their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah, it, it's, yeah, they're, they're just real people that have, you know, done something really good and got on there, you know, they're on TV. That's a big deal to some people. Um, you know, to me, it's just, it's an avenue to get information out. I just finished uh, uh, filming a series that will be on the history channel very shortly. And, you know, it's about all of it. It's about all of it. But it's, this show is not for UFO people. This show is for people that know nothing about us or nothing about the topic. So that's where we're hitting. So we're starting at a very basic elementary level. And hopefully each season just gets, you know, just a little more complicated. But we can't just throw the biggest out there and expect the public. And I think that's where a lot of the interest or disinterest is. You had an explosive story, not only in the New York Times, but on mainstream media, that they're actually saying, if this is true, it's the largest story in humanity. And he's absolutely right. That was Tucker Carlson. He's absolutely right. Where was the aftermath of people freaking out and, you know, just even wanting information? It just didn't happen. And I think it's because they get a big, big chunk like that. They don't know how to process so part of this show is really basic. There's one part where, you know, somebody films something. And I'm like, I understand why they think this is a UFO, but it's really this. Um, but I understand that because, I, you know, you don't want to put people down because, you know, they get excited because they see something weird. But I think that's where we are at this point. If we could do anything, even like on UFO Twitter, is to also remember that we have new people or, or people that don't even really let us know they're watching. You know, we have to remember that we can be the teachers or we can be the um, leaders or the most sincere, you know, the people that you're going to believe. Um, I know um, many of the guys on UFO Twitter, I believe I don't I don't have to check their stories because they've already had that reputation. They've already been vetted. I've already checked them 20 times. You know, now they've earned that already. So um, but even like Carl and you know, Acom and, you know, some of the people out there, Joyce and, you know, Foya Boy and, you know, some of these people out there, you know, there's also friendships and people are starting to come together. And like I said earlier, you know, Deep, you know, I, I know he does something um, that I really, really needed in an investigation. And he stood right up. He was amazing. So, you know, but we also have to remember, we have to be the teachers. Not everybody knows what we do. Not everybody's at the level we are on information. No. And some people don't want to be either, uh, as you kind of find out uh, as you go along and have those discussions. Um, oh my God, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't I know it. And the last question before I move on to the quick fire round and finish off um, from Darn Stadium. And I, I think I'm going to tweak this one slightly because in the context of it, the question's probably a bit open and out there. But given the first experience you talked about, I'll, I'll get there. So he had asked, or they had asked, what would you say to an alien being during a contact experience? But I would love to frame that and take you back to that night in the field when you came into contact with this little grey being. If you could go back to that sort of incident, 
or have, you know, I, I hope it doesn't happen unless you want it to, an abduction experience again yeah, I, maybe I <laughs> so you, you don't yeah so that that's not something most people want to happen even the ones that say they would like it what what would you say to a being if, if you came into contact with them again or what would you want to yeah the first thing i'd ask them is you know why are you here what is it about you know earth or humans you know that you're most interested in you know maybe we could help you or you know answer some questions for you or something and probably another question would be like do you guys know who shot Kennedy? Just saying. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Right into the, the zeitgeist of culture. Um, listen, there was so many topics and thank you to everyone first off who sent in questions. There was, there was even more than that, but I'll, I'll hopefully save that for the next time with, with Chase because it's been great talking to her. Um, some of the things we didn't get to discuss I've put into the quick fire round. So you can say as little or as much about each topic as you want to. Um, it can be one word or a you know, paragraph sentences, tell us a story if you have to. Is that okay with you, Chase? It is. Fire away. Awesome. So the first one would be, what do you think is happening with the whole abduction phenomenon? I believe that some people that report that they're abductees are not. And I do believe there is a whole bunch of people who are. Okay. I'd like to follow that up. Do you think that some of those genuine abductions are earthly origin as in potentially own governments doing the abductions or do you think that would be too too much of a stretch uh, you know i i didn't always and there was a big part of me that just didn't want to like deal with it and then you learn about some of the things our government has actually done and then you listen to people and who are these witnesses when you start vetting these witnesses they have no reason to lie they're they have no reason to come out and do this and their character is solid so yes i do believe it the next one would be your overall thoughts on the famous 2004 Nimitz-Princeton incident. What actually went on? Exactly what they say. You know, you look at like Kevin Day and, and Fravor and these guys, um, they come from the same arena I do. They have no reason to lie and fabricate. It's not part of what they are or, or their world. It's just not. And to come out public like that, you know, when you have all these other um, – fighter pilots. It's like, I know what that takes. My husband knows what that takes. And I absolutely believe everything they're saying, or they wouldn't have come out. Is that US tech or something else? Um, I, th- I believe it's something else. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, next one would be the Wilson Davis documents or memos. Your thoughts? Absolutely true. 100%. Awesome. I would I would agree with that. And I think there's probably more to come from those uh, in the future, hopefully. Uh, your thoughts on the Bob Lazar story? The what? Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. <clears throat> He's so controversial. Um, I think he got caught between a rock and a hard place. And but the fact that you have George Knapp involved or even Jeremy, um, George Knapp from the beginning, um, I'm willing to give this guy the, um, you know, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. Because when George Knapp says he sees what he's claiming, done. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to believe him, I guess. Not on everything, but on the initial stuff. Okay. And like we said, even if 
10% of what Bob Lazar talked about is true, then that's pretty incredible in, in itself. So I, I, I would take that. Right. For you, is the, the right term to use UFO or UAP? UAP actually brings it into a level that we can discuss with professional people like, you know, DC and whatever. But I listened to a, a radio show from Richard Dolan who says, we have to keep UFOs because that also reminds us of everything that happened before the Nimitz and all of that. So for me, um, I'm going UAP with a very fondness of let's not forget that these UFOs have been here before. I, I like that. And ultimately I called my podcast that UFO podcast and I did deliberate the, the UAP part, but I agree with your sentiments. Two more. Yeah. Um, your thoughts on Skinwalker Ranch? Skinwalker Ranch, um, there's actually another place. You know, it's not as unique or alone as possible. I do believe a lot of stuff's going on there because you look at the caliber of people that were investigating. Again, these weren't, you know, boots on the ground, um, civilian grassroots people. These were scientists, military personnel. And, you know, and they didn't make a big deal about it way back then. Right now, it, it, it's because they can say a little more. They can put a little more out there. But you have like Redgate up in Montana. And if you just look up some of the stuff of that area, it will blow your mind. Skinwalker on steroids. And there's several other places, too, um, you know, about, you know, that have that same phenomena. So what that does is actually tells us that Skinwalker may not be fake because the same stuff's going on here, been reported for decades, it's going on here and there. So yeah, that's my take on that. Since you've brought him up a few times, I'd like to follow that up very slightly. So you've mentioned Bob Bigelow. Bob Bigelow famously owned Skinwalker Ranch before Brandon Fugo. If you're Bob Bigelow and you have the interest in the subject that you do and the knowledge that you do, and this is someone who sat on, was it 60 Minutes and declared that alien beings are already on the planet and walk amongst us. And it's quite a big thing for someone like that to say, you know, and as he said, he doesn't give a damn. Why do you sell a property like Skinwalker Ranch if it's so unique? I think because he had all the investment or all the, his, his answers were quite, or his questions were answered. And there's a lot of things that I believe he could also come out with. Um, Unfortunately, in the meantime, um, his his business has suffered a catastrophic, you know, laying off all these employees, and he lost his wife. And so right now, he's probably not thinking of UFOs. And I, I got that actually because I contacted George Knapp by email, and I'm like, hey, any chance Bigelow's just going to say, you know, all this is coming out, this is what I have. And that's what George reminded me of is, is again, like not everybody is like me that thinks UFOs 24-7, but this guy's running, you know, billion dollar, you know, businesses and he just lost his wife. So, um, yeah, I think I think Bigelow's selling it was his questions were answered. Okay. Time for someone else to ask some different questions, maybe. Oh, I've even done that investigation. So I, I go and uh, I'll do one and then I'll call another team in. And I usually used, used to use like Oklahoma UFO group and you call them in because you want them to see what they can get because, you know, it could either help your case in strength or 
you have more questions to answer. So, so I love that. He, he did right by that. It was the right thing to do. And I suppose it's like any guest I speak to on the podcast, it's never been their first interview and it won't be their last either, I would hope. And it's yeah. maybe I'm just going to ask a different question to someone else and maybe they get that little bit different context or maybe the questions are just relevant to be asked again and have the answers heard. So, you know, Which makes you a good host. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. And on that, the last one is looking for your opinion on disclosure. Are we seeing it? What is it? What's happening? Yeah, I, I honestly think um, we have it. I mean, when you have the government openly talking about it, the president's like, well, you know, I don't believe much of it, but, you know, my pilots, you know, so there's a consideration he has. You know, we have to remember this guy gets bombarded with everything. Obama, Bush, all of them did. And then you bring something to the table. Can you imagine being the guy that has to say, so, Mr. President, <laughs> we have these objects we don't know what they are in our skies. So they're kind of UFO. I, I would hate to be that guy. <laughs> like he'd be like, what? Like all the crap on my desk right now. And you're telling me about a UFO. So um, I do think it's come out. Um, the, the New York times, the fact that the mainstream media, but also the people, there's a lot of other people. We have scientists and, and people that are, we're not even talking about that are completely investigating all of this. Now, what about Naval observatory? right there in DC, you know, I want to find out what they're doing. You know, there, there's many places we can go and look. Awesome. Thank you, Chase. Uh, Chase, just before we wrap up, do you want to let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you, discuss your website or any of your work? Yeah. Um, uh, Chasekletsky.com. <clears throat> and I also have the field reports with an S.com where I have like some of my favorite cases up, but it's not all of them. Um, but just my, my favorites. And I don't do a lot of Facebook lately because I'm all about UFO Twitter. I, I swear, that's all I spend my time in, UFO Twitter. And um, if they're not talking about it, it's not worth talking about. So um, you can find me on Twitter. It's just Chase Kletsky. Everything's just my name and whatever. At Yahoo. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. Uh, so Chase, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Hopefully it's not the last time and we'll definitely do this again because I feel there's a, a lot more to talk about. I had the best time. I was so looking forward to it. You rock. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. And anytime you want me back, I'm yours, mister. Thanks. I'll take you up on that. Thanks, Chase. that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue.
imagine how I could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you're awake, I was about to abduct you, cuz. Thank you.